Well, good morning, River Church. How we doing? Amen. There we go. All right. Well, I am excited to be here with you today. Before we get started, I want to just give some shout outs, some thank yous. Um, We hosted a conference here uh, this week for a group of churches that helped plant the River Church. They had a big part in us existing. They believed in us. They helped uh, fund us in a lot of ways. And so it was a huge honor for us as a church to host this conference uh, to, well, to honor them and to kind of say, hey, <laughs> we did it, or we made it, right? <laughs> we made it. So that was a big deal. That was a huge honor for us. Um, and so also in this conference, uh, Joel became officially Reverend Joel Lipperman. So they ordained him. So y'all give it up for him. So when you see him, he says from now on, he wants to be referred to as the good Reverend Joel, okay? Or Rev Joel, right? Rev Run, right? Rev Joel. So we'll go with that. Um, but that conference was a lot of work. And so I just want to give a huge shout out to everybody who helped specifically our hospitality team, Maureen, Gladys, Sammy, Corey, all of our media team, Jill Libermento who took photos for us, Ashley Ragsdale and all of our kids team who provided childcare, Linda and Galen Goolsby's who even though we told them to stop coming up and clean would not stop coming up and cleaning. Thank you, John and Susie Ragsdale, um, our band who played at the conference and made it awesome. And a huge thank you to uh, Barbie and Mike Ross, who basically ran the whole thing and took care of us. You guys give it up for them. It was awesome. It was so proud of our church and so thankful for so many people who said, hey, we're willing to sacrifice uh, some time to come and make this thing awesome. So thank you, guys. Um, it, was, it was a blessing. And so um, as we uh, jump in today, we're starting a new series called What's Love Got to Do With It, right? As we head into Valentine's Day tomorrow, that's tomorrow, guys. Put that on your calendars, right? You're welcome. Uh, we're starting a new series, What's Love Got to Do With It, walking through the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Y'all nervous? Uh, Song of Songs was written by King Solomon, who we believe also wrote Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs. And he wrote, the Bible tells us, thousands of Proverbs, and it says uh, 1,005, I think, songs, uh, the Bible tells us. But Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, he says, was his best. You know why he says it's Song of Songs. It's the song of all songs. That's what that means. Song of Songs means that's my best Song And it's made famous, or we know it mainly because it talks about that three-letter word, sex. And I know some of you are like, Mike, we talked about money last week, and we're talking about sex this, or last month, now we're talking about sex this month. You're like, I can't handle this, dude. Like, this is too much. But what we're going to see as we walk through Song of Songs is that it is an absolute masterpiece. It is beautiful because it's not written primarily about sex. It's written about what intimacy between a man and a woman should look like when we follow God's design, what intimacy in a marriage can look like. And you might say, well, I'm not married. I'm not even dating. Is this for me? Absolutely, absolutely. Because when you enter into those relationships or you start looking towards those relationships, you want to know what God's design for that looks like going in instead of having to learn the hard way. Amen? And so we want to recognize and see how God created this and designed this idea. And, and maybe you're even asking, you go, well, why, why is there a book in the Bible 
devoted to this? Why does, so much of, why does this book in the Bible talk about this? And, and I want to say this, is because sometimes we're afraid to talk about this in church, but here's the thing, is God created sex, right? Like when he walked in the garden, he saw Adam and Eve, he wasn't like, what are you doing? Right? Stop! No, he designed it, he created it, he made this beautiful gift for us, for his creation to enjoy, but the beauty of it can be and has been in so many ways distorted and perverted. And so what Song of Solomon does is gives us a glimpse of God's design for it, right? It's not a shameful thing. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing, and it's important that we talk about it in the church because if we don't talk about it in the church, then our view of sexual relationships is going to be shaped by the world, by movies, by music, by everything outside of this other than being shaped by God. And so we want our views of this, how we see this, to be shaped by God, but it can't be shaped by God if we don't talk about what God has to say about it. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. But what you'll see is that Song of Solomon is actually not all just about sex. As a matter of fact, there's really only going to be one week that we're really going to dive in to that and talk about it uh, for the majority of the time. So it's not going to be an R-rated series. It's going to be PG-13, right? But it's not going to be R-rated. Um, but what you'll see uh, is the, the goal of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs is to show us what a deep and beautiful, intimate marriage relationship can be. And that's not just sexual. Intimacy is not just sexual. And so what we're going to talk about today as we jump in is what I'm calling the foundations of intimacy as we kick off Song of Songs. It's written, and you'll notice there's three main characters in Song of Songs that will refer to as you're reading through. Uh, you'll see it kicks off, and they'll say, the woman is speaking, that's Solomon's wife. It'll say, the man is speaking, that's referring to uh, Solomon. And then it'll have this phrase sometimes that says, daughters of Jerusalem, and that's the wife's friend. So I want you to notice that as you're reading it. Um, there's three different characters in this song uh, that's going to be speaking. So uh, as we begin, pay attention to that. So let's dive into the beginnings of intimacy. Song of Songs uh, 1, I'm going to start off here, verse 1, we'll read through about verse 4. It says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon, again, Song of Songs, the best one. Oh, that he would kiss me with kisses of his mouth, for your caresses are more delightful than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. No wonder young women adore you. Take me with you. Let's hurry. Oh, that the king would bring me to his chambers. We will rejoice and be glad in you. We will celebrate the caresses, your caresses more than wine. Woo, right? You're like, at least ramp up to it, dude. This starts hot and heavy, doesn't it? All right? Some of y'all are looking at your spouse. Why don't you talk to me, talk to me like that, right? It starts out with the woman, Solomon's wife, and expressing her desires for her man. Hey, that's a good thing, right? Hey, boy, you get me hot and heavy. I like you, right? But notice that she starts off expressing this wonderful desire for her man. She's like, man, I just want to be with you. But then immediately it turns in uh, verse 5, and she says, daughters of Jerusalem, that's her friends. She's now talking to her friends. And she says, I am dark like tents of Kedar, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. It's a, it's, a, it's a contrast here, so we'll dive into it. But she's saying, I feel like I'm beautiful, but I don't really think I am. She says, I'm dark like the tents of Kedar, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark. She says, don't look at me 
because I'm dark. For the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me take care of the vineyards, and I have not taken care of my own vineyards. So she starts off chapter one by saying, I want to be with my man. I desire my man. But then she immediately dives into her insecurities. She says, don't look at me for I'm dark. And she's not talking about her race. She's talking about her tan. You say, tan? Tan's good, right? For my pale butt, I'd love to get a tan, right? I just burn, right? For like half a day, I'm like, oh, a tan. No, you're just going to peel next. That's what happens, right? She's, she's not talking about a race. She's talking about a tan. And what she's saying for us today, we think of a tan. We think that's beautiful and lovely and wonderful. And we all want a tan. But back then, to have a tan was a symbol of your socioeconomic status because what that meant is you had to work in the field. You had to be outside. So you were poor. <laughs> what they desired back then was to have nice, fair, beautiful skin. And so what they, that's how they viewed it was if you have this fair, white, like very light skin, that means you were rich, you were indoors, you didn't have to be outside working. And so she considers herself as she looks at her dark, sun-kissed, tan skin and she thinks, I'm unattractive. I'm ugly, is what she's saying. And you learn why, or we learn why in verse 6. She says, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me work the fields. That's her, we think, probably her stepbrothers, because she doesn't say my brother. She says, my mother's sons made me work the fields. They mistreated me, and so, and they made me work in the fields where I got this hand skin. And what she's revealing to us is not just her insecurities, but that she has some scars. Y'all see that? Because it's not just, hey, I'm, I'm dark and I feel ugly, but I'm this way because of what somebody did to me. You see that? I, I feel this way because of what somebody did to me. And so these insecurities of how she's been treating in the past, she carries those into her relationship with King Solomon. She carries these, these insecurities into her relationship with King Solomon. She says, because I had to work the fields, because I was treated that way, I didn't take care of my own vineyard and she's referring to essentially her femininity everything her vineyard is basically describing everything that she thinks about her that would make her attractive to king Solomon. she says because i was abused this way because i was treated this way because i had to do these things i would i didn't take care of myself and now i carry this into my relationship with you she doesn't feel attractive she doesn't feel sexy that she doesn't feel beautiful she says because of how i was treated I've neglected myself, and now I carry that into this relationship. We bring our baggage into relationships, don't we? We bring, and a baggage maybe not a good word, but we bring our past into our relationships, don't we? We bring our hurts, we bring our fears, we bring our experiences into our new relationships, and they impact our new relationships, don't they? And what I want to say, even as we kick off here, is how we deal with that, how we talk about that in our relationships, how we encourage one another through that, how we work through that in our relationships matters. Because we all come with scars, hurts, baggage, if you would, that we bring into our relationships, and we've got to lovingly work through them. Because if we don't, if we deal with them poorly in our relationships, what that's going to do is push one another away from each other and cause more scars, not less. You see that? And I do want to say this, River Church, is that some of those things we bring into our relationships, some of those things only God can heal. 
Only God can heal, right? Like Hollywood and the world, you watch a movie and they lie to us because they think you meet, if you can just meet the perfect man, if you can just meet the perfect woman, then you can say those beautiful words, right? You complete me. Woo! That's a freaking lie. It's a lie. Now we can help each other. We can help heal each other. We can love one another. We can serve one another. We can, we can take care of one another. But there's certain things in us that only God can heal. And there's no, listen to me, there's no man, there's no woman that can complete you. Only God can do that. And if you keep looking for someone else to do that for you, they're always going to fall short. And you're going to be mad at them. You're going to be angry with them. You're going to be finding reasons to be upset with them. But you're asking them to do something for you that they don't have the capacity to do. You see that? Only God can complete you. Sorry, Tom Cruise, right? Sorry. And yet, how we treat one another's insecurities in our relationships, how we treat one another's scars in our relationships, hurts in our relationships, it does matter. You hear me, River Church? It matters. Husbands, we got to care for our girls' hearts. Ladies, we got to care for our guys' hearts. She comes in, she says, I want my guy, I feel insecure, and yet even in their insecurity, look what she says in verse 7. She says, tell me you whom I love, where do you pastor your sheep? He's at work, and she's saying, where are you at, man? I got to find you. Where, uh, where do you let them rest at noon? So she's saying, where do you pasture, pasture your sheep? When are they going to rest at noon? Essentially, when's break time, baby? I want to come see you. I want to come spend some time with you says, why should I be like one who veils herself? That's, we think, referring to a prostitute. She says, I don't want to be like a prostitute. I don't want to hide. I just want to come find my man. I want to be with you besides the flocks of your companions. So even in her insecurities, she's saying, where's my man? I want to go find him. I want to go be with him. I want to go hang out with him. And then check out Solomon's response to his girl. Gentlemen, we need to learn from Solomon today, okay? Everybody, all the guys say amen. You with me? Let's learn from King Solomon. Look at how he responds to his girl. Verse 8. He says, uh, if you do not know, so she's saying, where are you at? He says, if you do not know, most beautiful of women, woo, follow the tracks of the flock and the pastures and pasture your goats near the shepherd's tents. He's saying, follow the path, baby, and you'll find me. Follow the path. Verse 9, I compare you, my darling, to a, now catch his, catch this one. I compare you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Mm-hmm. You feeling insecure, girl? Girl, you like a horse. <laughs> Looking at your spouse, why don't you ever call me a horse, right? That's about the last thing you want to hear, right? Like you're feeling insecure about your looks. He's like, don't worry, baby, you look just like a horse, right? Like, come on, Solomon, right? No, 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 no. Catch what he says here. I, I want to explain it. Context matters. First, he calls her the most beautiful of women. You see that? Hey, the most beautiful of women. What he's saying is, girl, there ain't no girl like my girl. You may be feeling bad. You might be feeling insecure. But let me tell you, you are the most beautiful of all the women to me. And then he calls her darling at the end, which he calls her darling nine times in Song of Solomon, right? And then he says, girl, you're like a mare, right? And we're like, okay, what's he doing there? That's weird. You're a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. But here, here's what he's saying, right? Uh, the Pharaoh's chariots is going to be filled with Big, strapping, strong, testosterone-filled, best of the best of the best war horses. You got that? So you go to Pharaoh's chariots, and it is the prized of the prized of the prized 
horses out there, they're, but they're all men. They're filled with testosterone, and if you throw a female horse in that, you know what they're doing? Let's go, right? What he's saying is <laughs> they all would want you, baby. You are, you're so beautiful that you're like a mare in the middle of the biggest, strongest, most testosterone-filled horses. They would all want you. What he's saying, girl, if you put you in front of the biggest, strongest, biggest, baddest men in all the world, they would all want to be with you because there ain't no girl like you. You see that? Now you're like, you need to call me a horse, right? Come on, right? Try it out with your ladies. See how that works, guys, right? It seems funny to us, but what he's saying is that, <laughs> he says, girl, you don't know how much I value you. You're the most beautiful of all the women. And if, you, if they put you in front of, like, you're like a mare in front of all the, uh, the, the Pharaoh's chariots, like if they would all want you, they would all want to be with you. They, you would be the most valuable thing in all of their eyes. If they put you in front of those horses, you'd be the most valuable of all. And what he's saying, you don't understand how valuable you are to me. There's no girl in the world like you. If you were in the middle of the strongest, best men in the world, they would all want you. They would all value you. You don't know how treasured you are. What's Solomon doing what he's saying is the first key to intimacy for us, the first foundation of intimacy for us. If you want intimacy in your relationships, you're like, compliment my girl? Well, that always helps, right? But he's saying, no, you have to show her, girls, you have to show him that you value him, that you value her. He's saying, girl, I know that you have fears. I know that you have insecurities. There is no person in this world I value more than you. You catch that? The most beautiful of all the girls, man, you are the prize. See, when your spouses, when your relationships feel valued, it changes everything, doesn't it? When you feel valued, it changes everything, doesn't it? Intimacy begins when we value one another. It's being seen, it's being valued. Your spouse, your relationships, they need to know that you value them. And by the way, showing someone value is a lot more than just words. Amen? Words are important, but showing someone that you value them isn't just words, it's actions as well. Now look at the next thing he says. So number one, if you want a foundation of intimacy in your relationships, you've got to show one another that you value number one another. Look at verse 10. He just keeps on going. Your cheeks are beautiful with jewelry, your neck with its necklace, we will make gold jewelry for you accented with silver. So he starts off with, girl, I value you. There is no one like you to me. Like, there is no one like you to me. You are precious to me. And then he begins to shower her with praise because he sees who she really is. Now, notice he says, you're beautiful. And he says, your cheeks are beautiful with jewelry. Your neck is beautiful with jewelry. But he's not saying the jewelry, the earrings are what makes you beautiful. He's saying those things accent your beauty. Those things accent your beauty. And he says, you're so beautiful. You're worth it to me so much that I'm going to spend money buying jewelry and jewelry for you because that's how much worth, how much, <laughs> how much I value. So he compliments her. He encourage her, encourages her. But what he's doing is he sees who she really is. Because a lot of times she's putting on, right, she feels ugly, she feels unattractive, she's putting on beautiful dresses, she's putting on jewelry to try to feel better about herself, to feel like she is beautiful. And he's saying, hey, hey, look, the jewelry, that's great. It's fantastic. I love it. But all it does is accent the beauty that you already are. 
You see that? He's seeing who she really is. And he's complimenting it. You see, that's something that God does for us as Christians, is he sees who we really are. In life, you feel worthless. In life, you feel discouraged sometimes. Sometimes the world beats you down. And thank God we have a God, a Savior, who comes in and he says, I see who you really are. You are a son. You're a daughter of the Most High God who you're so valuable to him that he sent his son for your soul. Amen? What Solomon does for his girl is he sees her beauty, not because of the things she adds on trying to be beautiful, but because of who she really is, and he draws it out of her. He compliments her. He speaks life to her. You want intimacy in your relationships, we got to speak life to one another with our words. Because he tells her he's, she's valuable, but then he tells her who she is with his words. River Church, we've got to raise one another's value with our words. A lot of times we're really good at lowering other people's value with our words. And oftentimes we got to understand is people become the expectations we have for them. You hear me? People become the expectations we have for them. So if you're looking at your spouse or people you're in relationships with and you're constantly seeing the worst in them, you're constantly speaking the worst over them, that's all they're ever going to be to you. We've got to learn to see the best in one another and speak that over one another. You hear me? Your first thought about your spouse cannot be, she doesn't do that, he doesn't do that, he isn't this, he isn't that, because if that's all you ever see in them, that's all they will ever be to you. Amen? That's all they will ever fear from you, feel from you. If we're constantly focusing on the negative in one another, what they don't do, who they aren't, you'll never see the beautiful thing that they truly are. And this isn't about changing your spouse, right? It, it, but, but if you're constantly pointing out, talking bad, using your words to find their faults and tear them down, that's all they're going to see in themselves from you. Instead, we need to use our words to point out the good, to encourage the good, to strengthen one another. Guys, we got to celebrate who our spouses are, don't we? Amen? We gotta sell, we've got to honor them with our words. We've got to speak positive words over them. Tell them who they are. Tell them who they are because you see them, don't you? Four of us, you see them better than anybody else. You know them better than anybody else. And so you've got to see the good, the best, the beautiful in them and point it out. Amen? Amen. Ladies, do the same for your guys. And all the guys said, yeah, right, y'all like that one, yeah, right? If he mows the yard, notice, right? Boy, ain't nobody mow the yard like you mow the yard, right? Right? You want to know the sexiest words my wife can say to me on a Sunday? Great job on that sermon, baby. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Like, I'll take a compliment from anybody, but hey, coming from my wife, that can make me fly, can't it? We can speak words of value and life our spouses because we know them better than anybody else. We see them better than anybody else. And so our words can either tear them down more than anybody else or our words can affirm them more than anybody else. There's nobody that can make your spouse fly higher with their words than you. That is a powerful, powerful tool. And we need to use it to build up and encourage and strengthen one another. And everybody said, amen.
And after Solomon says all of this to her, she comes in, she's feeling insecure, she's feeling worried, she's feeling ugly, and he's just like, girl, ain't nobody like you, ain't nobody more beautiful than you, you're a, you're a horse, right? you're beautiful, right? You want to, like the jewelry's great, but that didn't make you who you are, it's deeper than that. Look at how she responds. Verse 12, while the king is on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. Ooh, Okay. The one I love is a sachet of myrrh to me, spending the night between my breasts. The one I love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyards of En Gedi. Now she feels valued. She has life spoken to her by her man Solomon. He's even expressed his commitment to her by saying, girl, I want to just buy you jewelry just to show you how worthy you are to me. And that's, again, that's not about buying a gift, although it doesn't hurt, right? It doesn't hurt, but it's about him expressing his commitment to her, And after all these things he says to her, she's able to speak back to him without fear. You see that? Without hesitation. She feels safe now to be vulnerable with her man and her confidence in being valued and cherished and spoken life to by King Solomon frees her to return her love to him. And she does it passionately and sensually. She says, while the, while the king is sitting on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. And that word perfume is a word uh, that's not used a lot in the Bible. As a matter of fact, one of the only other times it's used is when they talk about the perfume that they bring to the burial of Jesus to anoint him with. But this word is for, the word perfume there is talking about a very, very valuable, expensive, and hard-to-get perfume. Yeah, you know the word. And what she's saying essentially is, baby, you're worth the good stuff. You got it? You're worth the good perfume. And then she says this. She says, you're like a sachet of myrrh between my breast all night long. And I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is, but I bet he's glad he was one. Amen? <laughs> she's saying, I want you with me, baby. And, not, and she's not, this, this, it is sensual, but her saying that isn't just sexual. She's saying, I want you close to me all night. I want to be close to you all night. She allows herself, because of the words he speaks over her, because of how he affirms her and values her, she allows herself to be vulnerable with him. See, River Church, we've got to understand that intimacy doesn't begin with sex. Intimacy begins with valuing one another, speaking life to one another, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with one another. And look at how it closes out. It's, I think this is great. Verse 15, so she says that to him, and he responds with, how beautiful you are, my darling. Again, how beautiful you are, my darling. Your eyes are doves. Now, here's what's cool here is she just spoke back to him very sensually, and he says, you're beautiful, but he says, your eyes are doves. And uh, Hebrew teachers at the time taught that the eyes were the windows the soul. And so even what he's saying back to her is, girl, you're beautiful, but you know what? Your soul is even more beautiful than your outward beauty. Amen. That was good, isn't it? That's Justin Bieber right there. Beautiful soul. Y'all remember that one? Thank you, Mariah. <laughs> he's saying, girl, you're beautiful, but what you got on the inside is even more beautiful than what you got on the outside. We like to hear that, don't we? And all the girls said, thank you. Yeah. See, I know a thing or two about women. Just a thing or two. That's it, one or two. He responds to her with that, and then here's how she closes it out. Verse 16. How handsome you are, my love. 
how delightful, and this is my favorite part of the whole passage right here, how our bed is verdant, the beams of our house are cedars, and our rafters are cypress. She says, boy, you look good, our bed is verdant, and she says, y'all catch that, the beams of our house are cedars, and the rafters are cypresses. What she's saying is our relationship, our home, our love is built on a strong foundation. See that? We value one another. We speak life to one another. You see the good in me, Solomon. I see the good in you, Solomon. We use our words and actions to affirm and encourage and see the best in one another. We are safe to be vulnerable with one another. And because of that, our home is built on a solid foundation. That's good stuff, isn't it? And then she closes this out, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. I love it. She says, I am a wildflower of Sharon, a lily of the valley. Isn't that cool? She started this passage saying, don't look at me, I'm ugly. She, that's how she's talking about herself. Don't look at me, I'm ugly. She finishes it by saying, I'm a lily of the valley. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? She feels beautiful and valued. We have the ability to do that for one another, guys. The beginning of intimacy, valuing one another, seeing good in one another, speaking life over one another, being free. And now, again, that vulnerability is earned, right? Being, earning vulnerability with one another. But when we're willing to do that, I think some beautiful things can happen. Amen, River Church? Let me close by saying this. It's a two-way street. Two-way street. It takes both of you. Right? I, what this series is not going to be is me giving great one-liners and you elbowing your spouse going, you hear him? Right? No, no, no. Let, let, let's, let's, let me just be as blunt as I can. When it comes to our relationships, we both stink sometimes, don't we? We both got issues. We all got issues, amen, right? If you don't got issues, I don't know why you're here, okay? If you're perfect, go to the place that's perfect, and I, you know, it ain't here. My wife will be the first to tell you, he's got issues, right? But here's my challenge. It takes both of you, now go do it. And, and what you might have to do when you leave this place, you might have to go repent to your spouse. You hear that? You might have to go, say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not... I haven't been valuing you. I've been using my words to cut you down. I've been thinking the worst of you instead of the best of you. I'm sorry. I haven't been, I haven't been vulnerable with you. I've been cut off from you. Sorry. But here's the thing is, <laughs> you can't just, you have to have those hard conversations, but it's not just saying, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, don't, I haven't been doing that, but you have to also be safe to go say, hey, I, don't, I haven't been feeling that from you. You hear what I'm saying? And it doesn't need to be, you don't value me. You don't ever speak good to me. What's wrong with you? You know, it's to be, hey, hey, I want to talk to you. I, did, I haven't been feeling valued by you. I haven't been, you have to be willing to have that conversation openly and in a healthy way, right? Because if you leave this place and you're like, see, there's so much wrong with you, you idiot, ain't nothing going to get fixed, you know? 
<laughs> so you got to be able to, have, but then you've also got to be able to receive it. You hear me? So husbands, wives, anybody in a relationship, if you leave this place and he or she comes to you and says, hey, I haven't been feeling this, you can't immediately put up the walls and say, no! Sorry, yelling. <laughs> You've got to be willing. I've scared so many babies that way in here. I'm so sorry. But you, be, you have to be willing to receive what that other person is saying. Amen? You've got to be free to speak it, but you've also got to be free to receive it. And when you're willing to do that, some things can happen. Also, I would encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit in that conversation. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, River Church. Let's pray. Let's do this. I, don't, I rarely do this, but us eyes bowed, closed, eyes bowed. Bow your eyes. Heads closed, eyes bowed. I just want to pray over you guys and just for that our relationships, our marriages, all would just be built on that strong foundation of, of trust, of life, affirmation, valuing one another. And, and as I pray, if you'd like for me to pray for you, raise your hand. I, that'll, I'll just pray over you as that and that as well. So if you'd like for me to pray for you, go ahead and raise your hand now. I'm going to just do that. and Keep your eyes closed. No cheat, okay? God, I love you. And I am thankful that you're a God who values your people. You valued us so much that you sent Jesus as salvation. I thank you, God, that you're a God who speaks life over your people. You don't, you, you don't tell us how awful we are and how terrible and see, always see the worst in us. You're a God who says, yeah, see every bit of who we are, God. You love us like Romans 12, 9. You let love be genuine. We have, we're thankful for that. And God, I just pray that we would experience that in our relationships at home, God. That we would learn as we grow in our relationships with you, we would learn how to love one another like that. We would learn to value one another like that. Speak life over one another. Be vulnerable with one another. And that those relationships would be a safe place to do that, God. And so God, I just pray for everyone who was brave enough to raise their hand and even the cowards who didn't. <laughs> I'm just playing that you would teach us to do that. That you would show us how to walk in that, Jesus. And that, that you would, through this series, Song of Psalm, that you would heal relationships. That you would move in relationships. That you would create intimacy in relationships that maybe they hadn't been seen for years. God. That through your Holy Spirit, you would do magnificent and wonderful work in this place for all of us. And at the end of it, we would look back and point to you and say, only through the grace of God, who heals, who restores, who saves. We love you, Lord, and we're thankful. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's worship.